Okay, so Bible reading comes from Job chapter 39, verse 13 to 18 first. The wings of the ostrich flap joyfully, though they cannot compare with the wings and feathers of the stork. She lays her eggs on the ground and lets them warm in the sand, unmindful that a foot may crush them, that some wild animal may trample them. She treats her young harshly, as if they were not hers. She cares not that her labor was in vain. God did not endow her with wisdom or give her a share of good sense. Yet when she spreads her feathers to run, she laughs at horse and rider. And then the next uh, passage will be chapter 41, verse 1 to 34. Can you pull in the viathan, the fish hook, or tie down its tongue with a rope? Can you put a cord through its nose or pierce its jaw with a hook? Will it keep begging you for mercy? Will it speak to you with gentle words? Will it make an agreement with you for you to take it as your slave for life? Can you make a pet of it like a bird or put it on a leash for the young woman in your house? Will traders barter for it? Will they divide it up among the merchants? Can you fill its hide with harpoons or its head with fishing spears? If you lay a hand on it, you will remember the struggle and never do it again. Any hope of subduing it is false. The mere sight of it is overpowering. No one is fierce enough to rouse it. Who then is able to stand against me? Who has a claim against me that I must pay? Everything under heaven belongs to me. I will not fail to speak of Leviathan's limbs, its strength, and its physical form. Who can strip off its outer coat? Who can penetrate its double coat of armor? Who dares open the doors of its mouth, bring the bout with fearsome teeth? Its back has rows of shields tightly sealed together. Each is so close to the next that no air can pass between. They are joined fast to one another. They cling together and cannot be parted. Its snorting throws out flashes of light. Its eyes are like rays of dawn. Flames stream from its mouth. Sparks of fire shoot out. Smoke pours from its nostrils as from a boiling pot over burning reeds. Its breath sets coals ablaze and flame starts from its mouth. Strength resides in its neck. Dismay goes before it. The folds of its flesh are tightly joined. They are firm and immovable. Its chest is as hard as rock, hard as a lower millstone. When it rises up, the mighty are terrified. They retreat before its thrashing. The sword that reaches it has no effect, nor does the spear or the dart or the javelin. Iron it treats like straw and bronze like rotten wood. Arrows do not make it flee. Sling stones are like chaff to it. A club seems to it but a piece of straw. It laughs at the rattling of the lance. Its undersides are jagged potsherds, leaving a trail in the mud like a threshing sledge. It makes the depths churn like a boiling cauldron and stirs up the sea like a pot of ointment. It leaves a glistening wake behind it. One would think the deep had white hair. Nothing on earth is its equal, a creature without fear. It looks down on all that are haughty and it is a king over all that are proud. Thanks, Az, and welcome everyone to uh, week three of the Summer Fun series. Um, we've already had some fun together and we're going to have more fun looking at some of the creatures that God's made. Um, just in case you're not aware, we're changing up the service a bit to enjoy and spend time with each other a bit more and our sermons will be a bit shorter and they're turning our attention to different parts of God's creation to see what we can learn um, about God from it. Um, in the first week, we looked at the sea and the mountain, which showed us that 
it's a really unnatural sight for God to be with people. Uh, but he loved us enough to turn creation inside out to make it happen. And in week two, we looked at grass and flower, and they showed us God's faithfulness, um, that God's faithfulness is way beyond our own. He's much more reliable and constant than we are. And this week, we're going to look at the ostrich and the leviathan. So that's two very strange animals. Uh, so to get us started, the question I have for you this week is, what is your favorite, to discuss on your tables, what is your favorite animal? And what about that animal makes it your favorite? So just 30 seconds, what's your favorite animal? And what makes that thing your favorite animal? All right, guys, what's your favorite animal? What do we have? A cat. Why a, why a cat? <laughs> yep, simply cute. What else? What, what are some other favorite animals? Sorry? Oh, a peacock. Why? Yeah, okay, the tail sort of thing. I've never actually seen a peacock, so don't really know. Um, other ones? Other animals that we love? Koala? Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yes, that's mine. Yeah. Uh, have you seen that um, video on YouTube where the panda just like keeps rolling around? Inside? That's, yeah, that's, that's my favorite one as well. Okay, so thinking about all these different animals that we love, there's so much variety within those animals that God's kind of created and so many different things to love about them. Uh, what I want you to think about in the back of your head as we go through this sermon is what your favorite thing about your favorite animal might actually tell you about God. So it's just kind of speculating and wondering about God, but I want you to think about that as we look at the ostrich and the, the Leviathan together and figure out what they tell us about God. So uh, as just read two very, uh, a pas- two passages about two very different animals. Um, you've got the ostrich in verse, in chapter 39, that's kind of pictured as this bumbling fool, if you were kind of paying attention. So verse 13, it says, it flaps its wings joyfully, but they don't compare to the wings of a stork. And what that's implying, I think, is that it's kind of a, it's got this oblivious joy, right? It's got these massive wings and it loves to flap them, but it doesn't realize that wings are made for flying. So it's happy to flap its wings, even though it can't fly. And then verse 14, it lays its eggs, but it leaves its eggs behind in the sand. So someone could just walk by, step on the eggs and crush them, but it doesn't seem to worry. In verse uh, 16, it's put all its effort into this labor and bearing this egg, but it's happy then to just mindlessly waste the egg and leave it in the sand for someone to destroy. And verse 17 says, it's like God created her, the ostrich, without any common sense. But... There's an interesting line. When it runs, this awkward thing, this bird with wings that can't actually fly, it embarrasses even the horse and the rider, like the swiftest, most gracious animal is left behind in the dust by the ostrich when it runs, even though you would think a bird is made to fly. And then in uh, chapter 41, you've got the Leviathan. So that's kind of right on the other end of the spectrum. Where When we're talking about the Leviathan, we're not really sure if it's a real animal. So some people think it's referring to a crocodile, but just speaking about it in really hyperbolic terms. Um, or some people think it's actually talking about this mythical creature that they um, believe to exist. So have a think about which one you think it is. It's this sea beast that you can't catch with a hook. You can't tie it down with a rope. You can't pierce its hide with harpoons. 
Its back, it says, is like a row of shields and its chest is like rock. It breathes fire and swords and spears and iron have no effect on it. And so powerful that when it swims, maybe from its hot breath or maybe from its like ferocity, the sea churns around it. Okay, which one is it? Anyone want to pick a side? Is it a crocodile or is it a mythical creature? Hands up for crocodile. Oh, yeah, okay, a few crocodiles. And then hands up for mythical creature. That's, yeah, okay, mythical creature. I'm probably on the mythical creature side. But it doesn't matter too much which one it is because the picture of this creature um, is kind of the same either way. The, the sea in the Old Testament and in ancient Near Eastern culture is often this image of chaos and wildness and uncontrollableness. And this creature is like the embodiment of the sea. It's like the king of the sea, I suppose. It's the most dangerous. It's the most untamable thing in all of existence. And verse 34, it says, he looks down on all that are haughty, his king over all that are proud. That's the Leviathan. So I've got two very different animals. And to understand what God has to say about himself through them, we have to understand why God is talking about these animals at all. So Job is a really complex book and it has lots of themes and it deals with some really big questions that we definitely won't get into today. But the basic story of it, if you're not familiar, is that Job is this righteous guy. He obeys God um, and God's pleased with him. And suddenly he's given immense suffering, more suffering than you can imagine. He loses basically everything he has. He loses all his children and he's plagued with boils. And from his perspective, he can't understand why God has done this to him. He's like, I'm a righteous guy. Why do I, why do I get these things? And he spends nearly 40 chapters of the book of Job wondering why and pleading with God to answer his question and even demanding that God answers his question. Why have you made me suffer? At various times in our lives, and probably more as you grow older, you could definitely understand what Job's going through, right? If you believe in God, and if you go through enough suffering, you'll probably get to this point of questioning God and demanding answers. And so it's probably reasonable what Job did. God's in control and Job's asking, what have you done? Why do you run the world in this way? And throughout the book, throughout those 40 chapters where Job's pleading, God says nothing at all to him. But at the very end of the book, God appears. And God's response is probably not what he was hoping for. God says to Job, who is it that darkens my counsel? Meaning something like, what do you know about running the world? And he begins to ask him this role of questions that you, you couldn't possibly answer. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Have you ever given orders to the morning? Do you send lightning bolts on their way? Even now with all our progress and scientific knowledge, we're still kind of humbled by those same questions. It's still anyone's guess really like how the world exactly was created because no one was there and no one has control of the morning or of the thunder. So we're in that same position as Job still. And these elemental forces are as much out of our control as it is out of Job's control. But it's not just those big things that are too much for us to handle. Even the animals which are beneath us are beyond our knowledge and beyond our control. And so God shows him the ostrich and the leviathan. 
And what does God teach us by showing Job these things and showing us these things? The key to understanding it, I think, is in the middle of the description of the Leviathan, it's pretty easy to miss, but verse 10 says, if the Leviathan is this untamable, if it's this wild, that no one would dare even lay a hand on it, who then can stand against me? Who can call me to account who owns the Leviathan and plays with it like a pet? When we think of our lives and God's role in our lives, we tend to think of it as though God owes us a particular outcome or that we should get a particular outcome and that if we don't, we should at least get an answer for why we don't. Why didn't this happen? This was a good plan or something like that. And the Bible in different parts will tell us that God genuinely cares and works for our good. So that thought in some sense is right. But the Leviathan tells us that we can extract nothing from God. Even if God did owe us some sort of debt, we wouldn't get paid. If he genuinely owed us the debt, we wouldn't get paid because he's simply too strong. We can't pierce the hide of the Leviathan. How are you going to extract your debt from God? If God did owe you something, how are you going to get it from him if he doesn't want to give it to you? What about the ostrich then? God doesn't spell it out for us, but... I think like the the Viathan, I think there's some kind of understanding we can have of God from the ostrich as well. The ostrich is this oblivious and nonsensical bird. It's got wings and it flaps them and it loves to flap them, but it doesn't fly. And maybe that's telling us that we might not actually be able to understand God's actions in this world. What if he does something? What if God runs elements of this world just because it pleases him to run to run it that way what if he likes to flap his wings like the ostrich maybe we won't ever know what he's planning in all these things but there is some comfort in knowing that when the ostrich runs it runs faster than the horse and the rider so it might seem nonsensical for a giant bird to have wings but can't fly but in god's creation and the way that he runs the world he creates it so that flightless bird can run faster than a horse. And maybe there's some parallel there to God. Maybe we really can't understand things. Maybe he does things for pure joy. And how do we how do we even think of that? Like that's it's kind of pushing the boundaries of our understanding. So the ostrich and the Leviathan give us a different perspective on God than we're used to. It kind of really separates us from God into a different category. We're just nothing like God. And it's kind of unsettling. I think if we ever do a a series on Job, it'll be good to think about these things more deeply because this brings up a lot of questions. But for now, normally we think of God as constant, and that's what the flowers and the grass taught us last week. But because of that, we feel like maybe we can put God into neat categories like we do for the rest of the world, because that's just how everything works, right? You understand things in categories, things belong in there, and they work in there. But whatever worldview you have of how the world works, however complicated it is, however nuanced it is, however long it's been developed for, God has this kind of wildness about him that breaks every category of your understanding. Whatever box you try and put him in, he naturally will break out of it. 
even the core of our faith as Christians, that Jesus is God, actually breaks every logical category. In our world, it can't be that a human is God. A human is a human. God is God. No one is both. But to do things like that, the ostrich and the Leviathan tell us is part of God's nature. So that's our lesson from the ostrich and the Leviathan. Um, Let me pray, and then we'll have a bit of a chat about that. Father, thank you for creating um, a world that's so varied, um, with so many animals, with so many things to love about them, uh, but also with animals like the ostrich that we can't understand and the Leviathan that we can't tame. We pray that as we go about this world and see your creation, we pray that we would understand you more and help us to live lives that um, really uh, seek to follow you and not to put you in a box that we can call on or demand things from, but help us to understand that you're far bigger and wilder than we are and help us to know our place in your creation. Amen.